Good evening, good afternoon, good morning. I don't know when you're listening to the podcast, but as of right now, it is 7 o'clock on January 25th, 2011 in the East Coast, Buffalo, New York. My name is Steve Bennett. I'm here with my co-host, Donald Russ. How's it going? Good. You know, I think we're finally learning um, how hard it is to uh, to do a podcast. I mean, we've been kind of coasting through here, uh, <laughs> booking guests that are pretty surprisingly uh, impressive rate, and we hit a little snag today. Um, I don't know, as we record this, if we will or will not have Zach Cashin in a few minutes here. Yeah, we're still trying. Yeah, we're trying. It's been an interesting day. We thought we had him at 6 o'clock, and in the last hour, we've been sitting here twiddling our thumbs and, and waiting for Zach to show up. So we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he's going to be on the show. But if not, we have plenty of other stuff planned. We will finally, we will finally have the movie at the movies with the sportscasters, uh, a new regular feature, which we're going to do about once a month. Uh, the film that we picked today is June 17th, 1994, so we'll look for that a little bit later in the show. We also have an interview planned with uh, the head media writer for ES or for SportsIllustrated.com. His name is Richard Deitch, uh, Buffalo, New York native, and we have a really interesting uh, interview with him a little bit later, all things uh, sports media, which is a big part of this show. Um, also, we're going to do three things in a minute, and uh, we're going to end the show like we always do with our pick four. Um, so that's uh, something to look forward to. Uh, Donnie. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Zach, yes or Zach, no for today? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure. His publicist uh, or the PR guy for the Windsor Spitfires sounds similarly not sure. <laughs> yeah. He's doing work for us, though. He's doing yeah. the best he can. So we're just going to move on with the show. And we're going to see if we get Zach later. And if we don't, we'll, uh, I'm sure, set something up with him next time um, or sometime in the future because we'd like to have Zach on. You know, he's, he's going to be a big part of the Sabres organization going forward here in the next 10 years. And, uh, you know, we got to see if he was as good of an interview as his buddy, uh, Jack, Jack Campbell, Campbell, who yep. was on last week. And we've gotten really great reviews on the interview with him. Uh, people really seem to enjoy that. So let's move on. Let's do three things. Three things I've seen this week. This is a. This is a part of the podcast that you probably are getting used to by now as we start the podcast every week with it. It's just three things that we've seen in uh, sports, sports media, and the way sports and pop culture intertwine in the world around us. Donnie, why don't you kick us off with uh, the first thing you've seen this week? All right, my first thing happened this past Saturday. Uh, a guy named Tom Doherty. I don't know if you recognize his name. No. He left seven splits in a professional bowling event to shoot a 100. Oh, ouch. Yeah. Pro Bowler. Lowest, on television. Lowest televised score in PBA history. 100. Shot a 100 and uh, earned $50,000 for his efforts. So what, what that really made me think of was probably 10 times out of 10, I would have beat a Pro Bowler that day. Like, is there any other sport? Well, that's interesting because what I hear is that the oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Yeah. So... I think it's possible that at least two or three times he out of ten, he might beat you with 100. But what's interesting about that, too, is uh, if the oil was uh, difficult that day, the guy he played against bowled a 299. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He left the 10-pin wobbling, I guess, in the, in the tenth fr- on the third ball of the 10th frame. But, yeah, so, I mean, even if maybe once or twice he would beat me, is there any sport you can think that you would ever beat a pro at? Like, on their worst day, I would never beat a hockey player, uh-huh. never beat a basketball player. Really? You don't think you could dunk on Blake Griffin? No, no. no. Maybe like if he's got to shoot with the opposite hand and maybe like in a game no. of horse or something, but no, no. no it's not going to happen. Uh, never going to beat a golfer. I'm not going to beat the worst golfer. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is that. I don't know for sure, but I would give it a go. But yeah, Tom Doherty, uh, record-setting, smashing the old lowest record by 29 pins. 129 was the old lowest, huh? Yeah. I remember the first time I bowled what I thought was a really good game. It was a 127. Yeah. Yeah, that was I was young. That was money when you're like eight years old. Yeah, I was so pumped that I got a 127. I even had the lanes printed out. What's your (laughs) high right now in bowling? What's the highest you've ever got? Uh, I don't remember. Low two. It was like 215 or so. 244. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. Okay, my number one. It happened Saturday as well. Uh, I saw a USHL game. Uh, I went to Youngstown, Ohio to watch my brother play uh, in a United States Hockey League uh, contest between his uh, Waterloo 
Blackhawks and the Youngstown Phantoms. And the interesting thing, I probably wouldn't have brought it up, but not only did I see a USHL game, I saw a USHL line brawl. <laughs> I heard. So get this. So it started about midway through the second period, and a Youngstown player crashed into the Waterloo goalie. And the Waterloo defenseman wanted to fight. Okay. Wanted to fight the kid. Well, the kid wouldn't fight. So he's pushing him. He's pushing him. He's got his, his gloves dropped. He's trying to get him to fight, and this kid doesn't want any, doesn't part, want of any part of it. So he gets like about a four-minute roughing penalty uh, on sports only conduct. Two minutes for roughing, two minutes for unsportsmanlike conduct, uh, conduct goes to the box. So then the next time that group of kids is out, my brother's line is out, and one of the wingers hits the kid behind the net and tries to start a fight with him again. Well, that's a little bit of a scrum, and the kid is skating away into the penalty box, and the guy that was on the point grabs him, drags him down. From, as he, from Waterloo? Yeah. Okay. Drags him and just starts a, a brawl with him, and it just <laughs> ended up in a huge line brawl. Now, here's the funny thing. Nine players out of ten got a penalty. Yeah. The only one who didn't was my brother yep. who uh, stood there, <laughs> and uh, he was pinned up against the glass. Uh, by a linesman at one point, and he said the guy was trying to punch around him, but he uh, he avoided the brawl. So. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, it was interesting. The goalies didn't fight. The Waterloo goalie was banging his stick. To get the other guy across. But the other goalie wouldn't, no. wouldn't have it. My number two, a little bit of sad news. About three months ago, Paul the Octopus uh, passed away, sadly. Hmm. And on oh, no. Thursday at the Oberhausen or in Oberhausen, Germany, a six-foot plastic replica of Paul the Octopus was constructed in the Sea Life Aquarium. And the reason he's uh, relevant to sports is he, if you remember, is the octopus that would predict the outcome of World Cup games. Really? Yeah. World he, Cup soccer. World Cup soccer, uh-huh. correct. And he, last year in the World Cup, he correctly, or would it be two years ago now? Last summer. Last summer, right. Yep. Okay, he correctly picked all seven of Germany's World Cup games and the Spain versus Netherlands final. So, no kidding. Yeah, he died, was cremated, and his ashes are in the middle of a ball in a gold leaf. How, how does an octopus pick games? They, what they said is they, put, uh, they had two boxes with lids on them in the water, obviously, and uh, they put in each box a flag from each country and like a mussel or a clam or something, and I guess that's what they eat. Okay. So he opens one of them. The first one he opens is... Going to be the winner. Going to be the winner. That's incredible. And he picked, it sounds like he was eight for eight. He picked all seven of Germany's games and the final. God bless him. Yep. All right, my number two. Did you know last Sunday Fox needed five analysts <laughs> seated on the field in an on-field set, two sideline reporters, Pam Oliver was one, and uh, Chris Myers was the other, three guys in the booth, Aikman, Buck, and Mike Pereira, the former the official, head right. of officials, and three, and uh, no, that's it. So that is three and two and five, ten guys ten pl- to broadcast one NFC championship game. Now, CBS was able to pull it off with five guys in the studio, only Steve Tasker on the sideline, and just Nance and Sims in the booth. I just think it's absurd. You just do not need 10 people to broadcast one NFL game. And we're going to talk about that um, a bit later. We'll get into more detail on my number two with uh, Richard Deitch from SportsIllustrated.com. Sounds good. My number three, uh, 56 players this year, a record 56 players this year, are leaving college early for the NFL draft. And I, I saw that. My question to you would be: Are you surprised at all? With I mean, there's some uncertainty with the CBA, and it it sounds like they're both sides are pushing for a rookie cap. Yeah, I mean, it does surprise me. It surprises me because you know, as a, as a fan of Oklahoma, I always get disappointed when the juniors leave. But sometimes I understand. Like when Adrian Peterson leaves, you understand he's he's a running back. He's only got so many carries in him. Right. He's, you know, you understand that. But when a guy, like a few years ago, um, he, went, he got drafted by the San Francisco 49ers in the third round, Reggie Smith, I thought to myself, why did he leave? 
Why did he leave school as a junior to be a third rounder? I don't know who Reggie Smith is. Yeah, of course you don't. <laughs> but I think that if he would have came back, played his senior year, he would have been the one of the top-rated safeties in the following draft. So it didn't make sense to me. That's money he's never going to make back. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it surprises me because obviously 56 juniors aren't going to be picked in the first round. Right. I mean, there's guys like Fairley and stuff that it still probably makes sense makes for. Makes sense, right. Because he's going to go early. He can't do anything to improve his stock in college. But I just don't think if there is a lockout, which doesn't seem like it should be likely, but, I mean, it could happen. Then you're going to have to sit out a year. Then he's going to sit here doing what, yep. nothing, right? Yeah. I mean, you just have to hope you don't develop bad habits. Now, they and, will have the draft no matter what because well, right. it is collectively bargained. right. So he will be drafted, but uh, these these guys might be drafted and then locked out, right? Because the the NFL draft is the last thing that they have collectively bargained. So I think that the lockout could be right after the NFL draft. Yeah, I guess I'm surprised maybe that this didn't happen last year, knowing it was the last year. The well, last year I think there was 53 juniors. Okay, so it was so it the didn't miss most. it by much. Right, right. Yeah, but um, yeah, I am surprised. You know what else surprised me is my number three was the massacre that occurred on Twitter over Jay Cutler's knee. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, I was shocked. Uh, I kind of, you know, it was funny. <laughs> I have become, I don't know if you do this now, but I pretty much watch sports with Twitter in my hand now. Right. You know, I like to follow along, especially a big national telecast like the NFC Championship game. I'm just on Twitter, you know, watching the game, scrolling down. And I was surprised, you know. Cutler goes down, and and uh, they go to, they go to halftime, and one of the ten guys on the set or on the sideline or whatever from Fox, you know, said, "Oh, you know, Cutler's questionable return." And I'm like, "Oh, he's returning." And he comes out for the second half, and I think he threw one pass and he skipped it, and he he limped off real slow. And I, oh, man, this is trouble. Well, he never came back in, obviously, and he got killed on Twitter. And it wasn't just talking heads. It was NFL players, former NFL players, Deion Sanders, Maurice Jones-Drew, killing the guy on Twitter. Yeah, Jones-Drew's kind of backed off it now saying he was joking. Jones-Drew's trying to say he was joking, <laughs> which, you know, just, you said it, just go with it. You know, that right. aggravates me, but I don't know. And Jones-Drew's complaint was that he played on an injured knee. It also came out that Drew Brees played the season with an MCL tear. But... I'm not going to question Jay Cutler with Jay Cutler's injury, but I am shocked the way that blew up on him on Twitter. And it was interesting, too, his, the third-string quarterback that came in, I forget his name, he got 2,000 followers by the time he the, came in yeah. from the third quarter. In the end, he started with 6,000 followers, ended the game with over 8,000. So the power of Twitter. We always talk about Twitter. We love Twitter. Yep. And that's another, uh, another part from the Twitter. So here's what we're going to do. That's it for three things. Let me give you a couple of places to find us on the internet, just in case you forgot. We talk about the Twitter all the time, and you can find us at sports underscore casters on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at diversity23, and you can find Don on Twitter at garbage radio Don. Um, the website is up and running. It looks really cool. The address is www.garbageradio.com slash sportscasters. You can check us out there. Our blogs are going to be up this week as well as this episode. You're going to be able to listen to the last episodes. And also, there's a Twitter feed on the right head column. It's really good. Bob Holmes did it. Looks great. Thanks, Bob. Also, we are all set with iTunes in the sense that they have our podcasts. They're listening to them and reviewing them. And it's just a waiting game with them. Uh, but you can find us on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash thesportscasters. And you can always email us uh, at thesportscasters at gmail.com. So we're going to regroup. We're going to be right back. And we're going to either be right back with Jack, Zach Casson, or we're going to be right back with At The Movies With The Sportscasters. So you'll find out in a couple seconds. <laughs> All right, we are back, and I'm very excited about this. Now, let's set it up a little bit. We always say that this podcast is about sports, sports media, and the way that sports and pop culture intertwine in the world around us. And I think we've done a lot of sports. We've done some sports media. Yep. But I don't know if we've really done much uh, sports and pop culture intertwining. 
And this segment has been created to kind of do exactly that. And it's called the Sportscasters at the Movies. And we're going to do it probably like once a month. We're going to pick a sports movie and we're going to talk about it. We're going to break it down. And uh, there might be some spoilers from time to time. (laughs) (laughs) Probably heavy spoilers. Yeah. But, you know, that's why. Okay. The movie that we picked for today is part of ESPN's 30 for 30 series, which uh, ran basically all of 2010. It started off last January with a documentary about Wayne Gretzky and his trade from the Edmonton Oilers to the Los Angeles Kings. And it concluded in December after the Heisman Trophy uh, presentation with um, a documentary about Marcus Dupree and how he was not as big of a star as he was supposed to be. And somewhere in between there, they aired one called June Seventeenth, 1994, and it was directed by Brett Morgan. And I would say it's my favorite of the 30-30 for, uh, series. I've seen all 30 films. Don has not yet. But he's getting there. <laughs> I'm one for 30 right now. Yep. And uh, he's working on it. And the reason I, <laughs> reason I picked uh, this 30 for 30 episode was because it, it's kind of nice in that there's no way to spoil this one. There's no spoilers. It's a day, it, it, it's a day in history. And it's really cool the way they do it. There's no talking heads like a normal documentary. There's no... There's no voiceovers. No voiceovers. It's just, it's just one giant montage. Yep. And it kind of starts off before June 17th. The first thing you see on the screen is actually OJ uh, being uh, inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Right. And in his speech, he mentions that he wants to thank his wife, Nicole. <laughs> yep. Uh, for helping him to, to adjust to life after football. And then they kind of go through some, they, they show some clips of Arnold Palmer and why he was, uh, and, and some of his career. They show the New York Rangers run through the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, they show the New York Knicks and their run through the NBA playoffs. And uh, they show the U.S. being granted uh, the World Cup in 1994. And they show all these things. And why, Donnie, do they show us all of that? Because it all happened on June 17, 1990. Well, it all kind of came to a head on June 17, 1994. Yeah. And what was amazing to me, actually, not knowing exactly what it was about going into it, was that that day is the type of day for most people. I mean, maybe more so in Buffalo, but maybe not. That I know exactly where I was that night. I know exactly what I was doing. And I know because of the OJ chase. Yeah. Like the... But I, I did not remember that all these other things happened that same day also. So and I think the first category that we were going to talk about is just the strength of the film. And I think you hit on it right there. The strength of this film is that everyone can kind of remember where they were when OJ was running from the law in the white Bronco. Right. But you probably don't remember all the other things that happened that day in sports, in sports media. It started off in the morning with Arnold Palmer playing his last ever round at the, at the Masters. Masters. Yep. Or no, the U.S. Open. We're talking June. Masters in April. Okay, right. So it was his last round at the U.S. Open. Uh, it was the very first day that the World Cup started. In the and US. it was in Chicago. Right. right. First time a World Cup game was ever played in Chicago. In New York City, they had the ticker tape parade in the Canyon of Champions for the New York Rangers, winning their first Stanley Cup since 1940. Right. Also... That day was there was an NBA Finals Game Five in New York City between the Houston Rockets and the New York Knicks. Yep, it was Game Five, and that day Ken Griffey Jr. That's right. Yeah, hit a home run to tie Babe Ruth for the most home runs hit before June thirtieth in what would be a season of baseball that would not conclude. That's right. Yep. So I think the strength of the film is kind of reminding you of all these things and doing it in such a cool way where it puts all of the events in this kind of just montage of media. And it also shows kind of never-before-seen never clips. Like, for example, it shows Bob Costas talking to his producer. Yeah, before he goes on the before air. Before he goes on the air about how they're going to handle the situation. Some of that's not so flattering to the media, which is interesting, too. Uh, there was a one joke made by somebody about uh, OJ being at the, the U.S. Open or something like that. He said he already put, he's already two under or something. Right, yeah. I mean, just some, a little bit of off-color stuff. A lot of it shows uh, 
some of the media kind of pushy, like with his family and stuff like that. And it it's, it does a real interesting job. Like I said, there were no voiceovers, but there there was music. And what's amazing is that day, for so many other reasons, was such a positive day, like a reason, like a really good day for sports. Absolutely. And then whenever they flip back to the OJ stuff, there's a little more somber music. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's what took over, though. Not the fact that uh, the Rangers broke a what? How many years was that? Their curse. 1940 to 1994. 54-year so curse. Yep. That wasn't the biggest news. Palmer retiring, basically, or playing his last U.S. Open. That wasn't the biggest news. It the was. World Cup coming. The biggest yeah. sporting event in the, in the world. world. Yep. Finally being played on U.S. soil in Chicago, Illinois. Overshadowed by one football player. And I remember it was a very, very hot day in Buffalo. I yep. remember it was extremely hot. I remember just laying down and just being captivated by OJ. And I had forgotten, but they had, uh, they talk about it in the film, he had a suicide letter yeah, that one of yeah. his friends read earlier in the day, one of his lawyers. I don't know if it was Kardashian or it was one of his lawyers. Right. And he was actually riding around with a gun in the back seat. And then uh, AC Collins, who was driving him, remember had that. 911 call. Yeah, you know who you I am. You know who I am. This is AC. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you think was the weakness of the film? Do you think the, the film could have been better if they had done something? or oh, it, was, it was really well done. I mean, I'm not going to say it's my favorite film of all time or anything, so I, I could probably f- – that's a tough question. I like that they let it stand on its own without, the, without going too much into it. I almost – like if anything, I would have wanted to see more. You know what I mean? I mean, I guess – yeah, I think it's, limit, it, it's, li- it's limited by its time. Right. Like I think it's 50 minutes. It's about 50 minutes long. Right. Um, and, you know, it fit into an hour block of TV on ESPN. They had some limited commercial interruption. Right. Uh, I think Levi's was a big sponsor of the whole <laughs> thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think the way the film was set up, which is really a strength, kind of is a weakness because you don't get to hear some of the stories. You just kind of see them right. unfolding. But you don't get to hear Arnold Palmer talk about what he remembers from that day or anything right, like that. Right. But I thought, obviously, I thought the most interesting character in the film, uh, I'm going to say, was OJ, just because. <laughs> just because, how do you upstage a guy uh, in a slow speed chase down a highway in California, interrupting? I thought Bob Costas was a really interesting character in the film as well. He'd probably get my second place just because how he handled the broadcast of the NBA Finals game right, he was, uh, trying was to be, really interesting. It was interesting to hear him talking about uh, trying to segue into the one segment from the other. And he's like, there's no good way to do this. We're going to have to say this and go to commercial and then come back. And he's like, we can't just go, OJ did this, this, and this. Now here's the basketball game. Like He was talking about how it was interesting to hear. I mean, he's a classy guy, it seems like, to begin with, but he was trying to keep it keep it professional like not just make it sound like a like the media swarm that it was yeah it's 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 really it's really well done there's a lot of interesting parts there's a lot of people that you're going to be introduced to on a scale of one to ten how likely are you to recommend this film to others oh, abs- absolutely i i would give it a 10 i would recommend it to people not into sports because really it it's about sports but it has nothing to do with I mean, these could just be people, and you'd be just as interested. Yeah. I would have to give it about a nine as well. Um, I really, really enjoy it. Um, I really wanted it to be the first film that we talked about um, in our At The, at the Movie segment, and uh, I think it went pretty well. What did you think of the first At The Movie segment, though? It's good. We, uh, maybe we could find something a little bit uh, more controversial. We both kind of agreed that it was really well done, and... Uh, but yeah. Well, I think next time, uh, probably in a, a few podcasts from now, we will do another one and we will do a full length film. Like a more Yeah, as movie. opposed to a documentary. documentary. Right. But I just wanted to start I wanted to start with a movie that would kind of cross the, the boundaries of sports and that anyone who listens, you know, this would be a great great film. I think they're available on Amazon.com. I heard that a lot of them are on demand. Um, it's really easy to track these down after the fact they're on iTunes. Um I would suggest to download it and watch it with a girlfriend or a wife because it is really, uh, it really does yeah, absolutely does break grounds that way. So it's a good it was a good film to start us off, and uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about it in the thirty thirty for series in general because I'm really excited. Up next, 
we have uh, an interview with uh, Richard Deitch uh, from SI.com. So we'll be right back with Richard, and uh, we'll talk a little bit sports media. All right, Donnie, we're back here on the Sportscasters. Very excited to welcome our next guest. His name is Richard Deitch. He's from Buffalo, New York, just like us, Donnie. He's a graduate of the University of Buffalo. He did his grad school work at Columbia. And he is the author of a number of children's books. And he's contributed to numerous newspapers and magazines such as Vibe and San Diego Union Tribune. And currently, he writes for Sports Illustrated and SportsEye.com, covering all things media, the Olympics, tennis, and women's basketball. So, Richard, it's really nice to have you with us tonight. It's quite a, uh, you're making me sound uh, very impressive, <laughs> thanks for the intro. Yeah, we always try to make our guests sound as great as they are, so we're really, really honored to have you, we're really happy to have you. And, you know, just reading that introduction, it seems like you've had a really wide scope in your career, you've, you've done a lot of different work. Uh, what, has been, what has been your favorite thing that you've done so far in your career? What has made you the happiest? I think the two best things I've done professionally are, one, um, being part of Sports Illustrated's Olympic team. Um, that started in 2002 with the Salt Lake Games, and I've covered every game since then. So I've been to Athens, uh, Torino, um, Beijing, and Vancouver. Um, and uh, if you ever get a chance to either be a press person or uh, just a fan, I can't recommend the Olympics more because there's very few times in the world where the world comes sort of to one place and celebrates the best of what we do um, in sport. And so, at least professionally, at least when it comes to Sports Illustrated, having a chance to cover five Olympics uh, has been incredible, just because, again, you get to sort of see places in this world that you never would see before, some unbelievable accomplishments. Um, you know, I'll never forget being in the stadium when uh, Usain Bolt broke the 200 and the 100, you know, the yeah. seconds before that, those races, you know, it was as if 90,000 people took a big breath, and then when that gun went off, they exhaled, and, you know, it just was remarkable stuff. And then the other thing is, a couple of years ago, I got to spend a year in Ann Arbor, Michigan as a Knight Wallace fellow. Um, and that was unbelievable, just taking classes at the University of Michigan, studying journalism for a year, traveling to Moscow and Buenos Aires. Uh, gave me a chance to do a, a year uh, where a lot of my year had nothing to do with sports, about politics and culture and other things. So I think that really helped me as a sports writer. So if I had to narrow it to two, it would be... Uh, it would be those to University of Michigan and the Olympics. Now you mentioned the Olympics. You mentioned Beijing. Was that the, was that your favorite Olympics to cover, or do you prefer summer or winter? No, or? it wasn't even close. I lost my passport in Beijing. <laughs> oh no! Uh, and for, for any of your listeners, my advice is: uh, if there's one place on earth you don't want to lose your passport, it's China. Beijing, yeah. <laughs> China. Uh, but China, I mean, China, it was really fascinating because uh, Beijing is nothing like um, is nothing like you would ever imagine in this country. I mean, sort of. Uh, it's almost a little like Alice in Wonderland for Westerners. It's just, it's a different culture. Um, they do things differently there. I mean, just forget about the language. Um, but it was really fascinating. And the one thing that really stood out about the Olympics, uh, that Olympics, other than that, it was just unbelievably efficiently run. I mean, incredible buildings. I'm sure you guys saw it on television. Yeah. Uh, was just the passion of the Chinese, and in particular the young Chinese. Uh, the best thing I covered there was having to cover the... Uh, um, table tennis final uh now obviously that's one in china's national sports and yep. two chinese men playing in the final i'm you know i I'm, i might have been the only american in the crowd if if i wasn't uh, it had to be close to you know maybe two or three of us out of you know twenty thousand and just to see like it, you just imagine the the most rabid bills fan and times it by 50 and that was literally everybody in that arena that's and I, I still to this day have never been to a sporting event where I saw more passion, um, you know, th th in a crowd, and especially young people, than I did at that match. It was, uh, I mean, they were certainly polite and well-behaved, but you just saw, got a sense that this is why China is a country on the move, because the, the young people were just so into literally every second of that match as if their life depended on it. So um, the Beijing Olympics was not my favorite Olympics. The Athens Olympics was, but Beijing, I'm glad I went to China because it's, a place I would have never seen uh, without Sports Illustrated. Right. So Athens was your favorite. And what about uh, the Summer Olympics, Salt Lake? And uh, did you get to cover some of the hockey in Salt Lake and Vancouver? Uh, yeah. So winter, yeah, winter Olympics. Salt Lake, um, Salt Lake is a, is, was a nice town. But you've got to remember, when that Olympics was 2002, very shortly after 9-11, 
So everything about that Olympics, I mean, there were security everywhere. I remember sort of being patted down literally everywhere I went. I remember seeing guys with machine guns walking in the streets. So, I mean, it, it, was, it was a fun Olympics um, in terms of the athletic accomplishments. Um, and it was my first one, so I'll always remember it. But, you know, the overall sort of theme of Salt Lake, we, we were really still as a country sort of, uh, um, you know, very, very close to 9-11 and the security for that Olympics uh, – uh, really felt that way. Um, I, I will say in Vancouver just a couple months ago was pretty incredible, if only for the sense that I got to see uh, a number of hockey games there. I saw the U.S. beat the Russians. I'm sorry, I saw the U.S. beat the Canadians Canada. Yeah. Uh, prior to the gold medal game, uh, which really stunned, uh, I think, everybody in Absolutely. Canada. Ryan Miller's um, kind of saw, coming up. I saw Canada, Canada beat Russia live, which was incredible. Um, I didn't see the gold medal game live, but uh, again, un- just to watch... Canada play hockey in an Olympics in their own country was just an incredible thing to see. I mean, uh, you know, the people on the streets were just going nuts. Um, you know, Canadians, I, you can, I mean, as you can imagine, and as you've read, uh, they take their hockey very seriously. Um, and I don't think any team, maybe in the history of sport, has ever been under more pressure sure. than that Canadian hockey team. They had to win the gold, and as, as we all know, Sidney Crosby beating yeah. Ryan Miller, yeah. they ended up doing it. So uh, pretty incredible stuff at the Vancouver Olympics. I really enjoyed my time there. Yeah, it's funny you say that because we just kind of had an experience here in Buffalo where we hosted the World Junior Championships, and uh, the, people were kind of commenting that Buffalo was turning into Buffalo, Ontario, Canada, because there were so many Canadians down for the game. Right, so, I, yeah, I read about that. Yeah, well, we, I, heard the, uh, I heard the tournament, though, itself, if you went to games, was great. Yeah. And the competition yeah, I and loved the, it. Was, was fantastic, and a, lot of, and a lot of Buffalonians really got into it. Oh, I loved it. I, had a, I, I went to the Buffalo and Finland game. It went to overtime. Um, we were sitting right behind Jack Campbell, who we actually interviewed last week. Um, a really, really rising star um, in goal for for the United States, and we had a lot of fun. It was a really a great tournament. So, but it, we took a little bit of flack because there were so many Canadians there. It's <laughs> like we're you know, this is supposed to be a home game for the United States and the gold uh, world. It was actually the semifinals. Um, speaking of hockey, hey, well, man, maybe, maybe I would say maybe it's just a warm up for the Bills moving to Toronto. Let's hope, <laughs> yeah, let's hope, <laughs> let's hope not. <laughs> speaking of hockey, I don't know how much of a hockey fan you are, but the NBC uh, Comcast merger. Uh, how do you think that affects uh, just sports coverage in general? And as a hockey fan, is it something that we should be excited about? Or that's a good question. It remains to be seen how that's going to play out. Obviously, um, Comcast uh, an NBC Comcast merger really can be a sports juggernaut because there's so many um, Comcast networks uh, and Comcast sort of websites around the country. It's like the one sort of entity that can compete a little bit with ESPN in the same way ESPN has like ESPNNewYork.com, ESPNBoston.com. Texas. Um, Comcast could sort of be in that conversation. Um, so I think on the larger scale, they have a real shot to compete with the ESPN if they want, although ESPN has such a huge advantage at this point with all the rights that they have, especially in the college uh, uh, games, both football and basketball. It would be really hard for, I think, even Comcast to – to really compete with them, at least at the initial start, you have to sort of make that a, a real like 10 or 20 year project. In terms of hockey, um, you know, the ratings have been good for NBC, I think a little bit better than they expected. So I think they'd like to stay in the game there. The, you know, the Winter Classic has been a fantastic success for NBC. I think they like their association with hockey, but the, the, I think you should look at it the other way. The question is, what does the NHL want to do? The NHL now has a little bit of a hotter property, right. and I think that there's no doubt that there are people in the league office who want to be on ESPN. They feel like if you're on ESPN, you're relevant. I know the NHL has liked what Versus has done for them, but again, Versus has a problem, and it's just not in everybody's home, and it's, <laughs> it's a you know, very high on the dial in some places. Right. So if I had to guess, my sense is that the NHL will eventually be back on ESPN with some kind of Versus component um, the question would be, could there be a three sort of you know channel universe there where NBC also gets part of the Stanley Cup? I'm not sure. I think if ESPN gets back in the game, I think they're going to want part of that Stanley Cup or all that Stanley Cup. Right. Well, maybe they could work something out like the NBA has, where the NBA has uh, TNT as well as a partner with ESPN and ABC. Maybe the NHL. Does, although, you know, again, a lot of that depends on who pays more. Never forget, though, that ABC 
um, slash ESPN owns the rights to the finals, and right. that's where your real gigantic eyeballs are. Well, right now the NHL isn't getting any rights fees, right? They just split the uh, revenue yeah. on the commercial. They, yeah, they split that, and I think what the NHL eventually thinks, and they may be right now, is because the ratings have been up and there's more interest, they may actually be able to get some television dollars. You know, the, the, I think the NHL has a very good property. Uh, I, I mean, I'm a fan, but I think they need to sort of be careful about not overestimating um, their their draw. The fact is, and it's just always going to be the case, and you guys know this in Buffalo, the NHL is a regional game. Yeah. Um, it's not. It hasn't proven in this country to be a national game, and Buffalo Sabres fans will watch the Sabres in droves, but people in Buffalo have not proven that they'll watch the Calgary Flames, let's say, play uh, the Edmonton Oilers, or you know, the Calgary Flames playing the Flyers, and that's the problem the NHL has, unlike the NFL. The NFL is a national game, even the NBA, to an extent, has national teams like the Celtics and the Lakers, you know, maybe outside of the Penguins, maybe. The NHL really doesn't have any national teams, and that's where they get in trouble when it comes to trying to attract a, you know, a big television deal. Well, you mentioned football. I do have some football questions for you. What was your reaction Sunday when everything was going crazy on Twitter with Jay Cutler and his knee injury, which has now been revealed as a knee sprain? Well, I mean, again, I think it's a good lesson to both, um, you know, young sports writers, uh, as well as sort of everybody who is in the social media space. And that is, it's a very dangerous game to um, start questioning people's injuries when you're, one, not that person, or two, not there. Um, and that's really what happened on Twitter. Um, I mean, players are certainly allowed to do whatever they want. They have their own Twitter accounts. But, you know, it's a dangerous thing for Maurice Jones, Drew, to say that, you <laughs> yeah. know, I've played with all this pain, and Jay Cutler, you know, should be in there, you know, or something to the effect of, you know, unless the guy's got a broken leg, he's got to be out there. I mean, that's kind of Neanderthal, silly thought. What really disappointed me was a lot of media columnists basically taking Jay Cutler to task for, uh, you know, not not playing through pain, which is nonsense. I mean, right. the fact is. You know, one, I, I, I find it totally ridiculous. I think, I, I mean, Jay Cutler has lived his whole life probably to play in that game. I find it impossible to believe the guy wouldn't, you know, wouldn't do everything he could to play in a game. I have no doubt uh, that he was hurt. Um, but it's just, it's a very dangerous thing um, to sort of make these instant judgments when, you know, you're not there. And I think it was a really interesting example of Twitter um, having a real effect. And you saw, you know, we're now taping this on Monday, and you saw, uh, I should say uh, Tuesday, Tuesday yeah. and we saw today now that some of these guys are already backtracking, Back, including were... Maurice Jones-Drew yeah, and, and other guys. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and so yeah. that's really that's interesting to me, and that's, um, you know, I'm, I'm not the biggest Jay Cutler fan, and I think the guy can be a total sourpuss. He doesn't really appear to me as being a leader uh, or the greatest teammate, but I would never question whether he's hurt or not, and I think the lesson to be learned on all this is to be really careful about calling out a guy uh, for injuries when you really have no idea what the injury is. Right, especially immediately. And I think, you know, a lot of people overlook the fact that this guy is a type, type 1 diabetic and that kind of affects the, uh, like, he can't get a cortisone shot from what I understand because of his uh, diabetes. Absolutely. I mean, the fact and, is, the guy, I mean, the, Jay Cutler sacked 57 times this year. I mean, guy who takes that much abuse clearly has played through pain, can clearly sort of tough it out. And, I mean, I, it's amazing to me, it's certainly like, you know, uh, media people who I think probably know better is, I mean, step back for a second. Jay Cutler's probably been playing quarterback since he was seven or eight years old. He played at Vanderbilt. Yeah, I mean, you don't think this guy has been waiting his entire life to play in a game where he can get to the biggest game of all, mm-hmm. and he's not going to do anything he can to stay in that game? I mean, it, it's ludicrous. I mean, that's what the guy has lived for. That's what every any quarterback would live for. So, so again, I got no problem criticizing Jay Cutler for not being great with the media. I got no problem criticizing him for being moody. And I have no problem people criticizing him saying he's not that great a leader or a quarterback. That's all fair. But I did think it was incredibly unfair for those who called him out um, for you know claiming that he, he, he quit on his team because of uh, a fake injury, which I think is going to prove not to be the case. Right. I was, uh, was kind of taken back Sunday, too, just at how over-covered the games were. Fox had 10 people... Um, at the stadium to cover the game. They had five on a set on the field. They had two sideline reporters instead of one. And they had three guys in the booth, including uh, Mike Pereira. Ten guys to cover that game. CBS had eight. I mean, what an overkill, right? Well, I mean, you know, it depends on depends on what your definition of overkill is. You want to see overkill? Watch ESPN at the Super Bowl over the next two weeks. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
You know, I, I mean, it, 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 I think there's a couple things at play there. You want to get as much, you know, television executives like sort of fall in love with a lot of their talent, and they want their talent to, you know, to be on the biggest games that they have. And Fox happens at the Super Bowl this year. CBS doesn't. So this is going to be CBS. The AFC Championship will be CBS's most watched program of the year. So, you know, there's no doubt that there's a part of them that wants to put all the best talent or all the best NFL talent that they think they have somewhere on that field. And CBS usually dials back. They don't really believe in sideline reporters, although in this case, you yeah, know, Steve, Steve Tasker, Tasker right. that this it, is one they did. Um, the Fox thing is a little more valid. I, I just think, I mean, I, you know, I generally um, like Fox's coverage. I think... Um, their, especially like their camera work and stuff like that is pretty good, but they tend when it comes to talent um, to be a little excessive uh, you know, when it, whether it's uh, you know, the pregame show when they do a Super Bowl they have a lot of like celebrity nonsense and stuff like that, so a lot of it is just sort of philosophy um, Fox is similar, to, it's closer to ESPN there and sort of the you know, more is more, not less is more um, CBS traditionally though, I will tell you is usually more minimalist, and they don't go over the top. Um, I think it just so happens that for the AFC Championship game, they decided to use sideline reporters. Um, but that's not usually the case. If you watch CBS um, games throughout the year, you will never see a sideline reporter there. Um, so I think your Fox thought is a, is a little fair. But again, I would just keep in mind that that is going to you know that's going to be Fox's second most watched program of the year. The Super Bowl will be their most watched, and the 54 million or whatever watched the. Uh, Jets and the Steelers will be the most watched uh, program on CBS all year. So I think they just want to try to get all the bells and whistles they can. What do you think we can expect out of Fox's Super Bowl coverage? Pretty similar with the 10 guys and two, one on each sideline? Or do you think they'll scale back or keep it the same? And, you know, what, I, think what they'll, I think what you can expect is you know, what you normally expect from Fox. Is pre-game will be um, before they get to the nuts and bolts of the football. I think you're going to see a lot of celebrity Ryan Seacrest, Maria Menounos kind of stuff, walking the red carpet. They seem to like to do that. I think they'll have their usual Menifee, Bradshaw, Howie Long, um, Jimmy Johnson pregame set. I think they'll have features from Jay Glazer, Pam Oliver, you know, maybe, I don't know, Sarah Gooser or Chris oh. Myers type. Um, <laughs> the one change I do know that they'll have, and I, I think this is a pretty good change if they sort of keep it, you know, f- fairly, you know, when, when you really need it, is Mike Pereira is going to be in the booth with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Okay. So, um, and I think that's generally proven to be pretty good. So if there's a controversial play in the Super Bowl, you will see Pereira um, in the booth during the game, and he will comment on that. I don't think that's a, a bad idea. You, you know, usually the game coverage of Super Bowls is pretty good. Um, the broadcasters are prepared. The broadcast is usually good. For me, if there's ever criticism, it's usually the pregame show which a lot of times can be nonsensical, too long, like you said, just too many people. Um, one thing I will watch, and I think Fox really has to be careful here, is how they play the Ben Roethlisberger story. Because to me, some kind of like over-the-top, oh, he's overcome adversity kind of like uh, feature is going to be absurd. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's not a, to me, it's not a story of overcoming adversity. I mean, Roethlisberger was suspended for four games, you know, came probably very close to some kind of criminal prosecution. Right. So the one thing I hope Fox does is at least be honest to the viewer and present that story as it should be, as opposed to you know Ben Roethlisberger like somehow overcoming like a motorcycle accident or something like that. Um, right. What the guy overcame was self-inflicted. So to me, if nothing else, I just hope Fox is um, honest with the viewer. Um, but for Fox's coverage, I think expect more of what, of what you saw uh, this past week when it came to the uh, NFC Championship. Okay, we've just got a few more minutes here with uh, Richard Deitch, uh, Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. I do want to ask you a couple questions about ESPN because um, we are talking media when it comes to sports media. They are the quote-unquote worldwide leader. Um, there's a book coming out later this year by Jim, Jim Miller, and I think there's another author as well um, called Some Guys yeah, Have Tom, All Tom the Fun. Tom Yeah, right? yep. Yep. Um, They Have All the Fun or something like that. Uh, we are going to have them on this spring. Um, what do you think is going to come out of that book? What are going to be the big stories that uh, we didn't know about ESPN that's going to come out of it? Is it going to be more from a talent side, or is it going to be from a you know ESPN production side, or what's going to really? What can we expect from this book? Well, these, are these not questions for your author? In this <laughs> uh, I mean, I can tell you a guess. I mean, I know Jim Miller; he's a nice guy. The one thing I can tell you is having. Um, written about, I think I was the first person to write about the book because I talked to Miller one day for like an hour and a half. 
Um, I know he's interviewed more than 500 people um, who have been part of ESPN, both current and former um, staffers. I think the guy, and I shouldn't say I think, that guy knows more about ESPN than any other person in the country. He's sort of become obsessed by it, which is a very good thing for an author. My sense is that there are going to be things in that book that are going to be newsworthy, people saying things about other colleagues or former colleagues that are definitely going to be like very uh, big uh, topics on the blogosphere. Do I think that there's going to be like some gigantic smoking gun in the book? I don't think so. Okay. Um, I do think you'll get a lot of the sense of the history of the place. I think you'll get a lot of the sense of um, who the people were there that shaped the place. Um, and I do think there will be, you know, it really depends. If you're like someone who's a huge fan of the sports media and, you know, you're really curious about broadcasters and talent and stuff like that, I think you're going to love the book because I think there's going to be a lot of, for lack of a better word, gossipy things. But I don't, um, I don't, I mean, Jim Mill would be a better example. I don't think it's, he's, there's going to be something in that book where it's going to be worth, you know, front page of the Buffalo News or something like that. I think, I think it'll be a really fun book to read for sports fans, particularly sports fans who really like are interested in television and stuff. Um, and I think that'll be good. I mean, I think that in itself should make the book um, very successful. But only he knows um, what he has there. The one thing I can tell you for sure, though, is he's really done an unbelievable reporting job. He spent like the last two and a half years on the book and talking to the guy he talks like a guy who's obsessed by a subject, which, again, as an author, is a great thing. So uh, I think he's going to deliver something fun for, for, for fans of ESPN and people who are interested in, in, in that world. Okay, just two more quick things, and we'll get you out of here. Earlier we did uh, earlier in the podcast, we did a little uh, movie segment on June 17, 1994, uh, from the ESPN 30, 30, 30 for 30 series. And I was just wondering how close you think they came to the goal which I think Bill Simmons kind of stated was surpassing HBO as the leader in sports documentaries. You think they accomplished that? Came close? Have more work to do? What do you think? I think they came close. Um, do I think? I mean, it's very hard to sort of compare. You know, it's sort of like I think there was so much good work done by both places. I would celebrate both places. Um, but I mean, if, at the moment, I think HBO still remains the leader in sports documentaries. But what it, what ESPN's Thirty for Thirty did is it really put them in the game. And there were sports documentaries part of that series that were better than some of the HBO sports documentaries that have come out over the years. And that's really what the game changer to me is about. The fact is now that great um, filmmakers um, and great storytellers in the film world will now come to ESPN, where maybe they would have only gone to HBO before. So in that sense, the 30 for 30 project was a great success. Um, and then in terms of just like specific documentaries, whether it's the two Escobars or the best that never was, or the one you mentioned, um, June 17, 1994, those are all HBO quality, if not, you know, top right. HBO quality. Um, so I, the, the, the 30 to 30 was an absolute success. Um, you know, it's like anybody else. It's very hard to sort of, comp- you know, you, if you're a fan of like that OJ Simpson day, you're going to like that 30 to 30 better than something HBO did. Um, you know, if you're a fan of Ohio State, Michigan, well, the HBO documentary on Ohio State, Michigan is going to be like the best thing you've ever seen. So, I, you know, I think it's like uh, at this point, you know, trying to compare like Manning Brady. I think they're both really good um, and leave it at that. But the the series itself was a great success. And I give Bill Simmons a lot of credit um, for his part in that. Um, ESPN did something uh, last year, which was really extraordinary and I think really helped them after doing something that was pretty horrific uh, in the decision. Yeah. The de- <laughs> we- <laughs> but uh, last question. You mentioned Bill Simmons, and he was a big part of 30 for 30. Obviously, that was a great success. He's probably the most popular sports journalist on the Internet. But do you think that, given his in- incredible popularity, that he- the guy himself is kind of becoming a cartoon of himself? Do you know what I mean by that? Like. Uh- no, I think that's a little strong. Um, yeah. I mean, he's certainly the most famous sports writer um, in the country. Well, I don't know if I'd call him a journalist or not. I think sometimes Bill does journalism, but, you know, like to me, someone who's a journalist is someone who's sort of out there on a beat every day. Yeah. Um, you know, Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News is a journalist. Um, no argument there. Um, I think Simmons, I would definitely classify him as a sports writer for sure, and absolutely the um, you know, I think probably the most popular one in the country. I mean, not even probably. I mean, I think it's it's a, it's fact. Um, you know, in terms of caricature, you know, 
part of the problem for Bill, who I know and and who I um and who I generally like, I don't know him well, but you know the times we've interacted have, have been fine. Is um, when you're that famous, um, and so many people are reading you, and so many people are comparing your own work to previous work, it's really hard to sort of not. Um, um, be mocked in some places because you're just that famous. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. Is like Rick Riley worked for my place for um, yep, yep. you know a really long time. He's the back page writer at Sports Illustrated. Um, he did some incredible writing there, um, and some of the best writing that'll ever be done in sports writing. Um, you know, you know now he's gotten older, um, and there's a lot of people who don't think his stuff is as good as it was at Sports Illustrated. I mean, it's really mocked, like on the web, whether it's Deadspin and the Big Lead or other places. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad what he's doing now, but I think it's very hard sometimes to sort of live up to Yourself. your own path. Right. Um, and so for me, I think Simmons, because he's so famous and because he's got so much out there, I think a lot of times um, it's easy to take the shot at him. But I would also say at the same time, man, you know, that's the deal. If It's just like being a Hollywood celebrity. That's sort of part of what you sign up for. And when you're Bill Simmons and you're paid that much money and you're that famous and you're that promoted on ESPN, you know, in certain corners of the universe, you're going to be mocked. Um, but he's had an incredibly successful career. Um, and I, the one thing I will say, and I've always said about Simmons, is I admire the guy because he created sort of his own kind of culture in that he was, uh, you know, he, he, he was an AOL Boston-like guy just writing he was at the Boston Herald. He really couldn't get a break there. And he sort of created his own little universe where rather than do the traditional sports writing of going out and interviewing people, um, he sort of wrote like a fan from the couch and yeah. wrote really these long, uh, like elaborate pop culture kind of style sports uh, columns. And he created essentially a whole sort of genre of sports writing. Some might say that genre was not great. The point is, he still created it, and I think a lot of people have followed. So, um, and his podcast—I got to give the guy really... credit. You know, I got to give the guy credit. I mean, yeah. he—you know—he he became the most famous sports writer in America from from a very untraditional background, and that in itself is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in his podcast, I mean, he does it his own way, having his friends on the show and stuff like that. Yeah, you know? he's made star. And out it's of... the most. And it's—I it's, it's, don't even know if it's just sports. I think that is the most popular. That's the most downloaded podcast. In media, yeah, not I just think sports. That, so, I think yeah, that, I mean, that tell you? Yeah. Certainly, he's helped by ESPN. But I mean, think about that. Think about how many people are downloading yep. he and his boy house or whatever talking about <laughs> basketball for now. And if it's, it's incredible, incredible, but yet yeah. he's getting the traffic. Yeah. All right. Well, we went a little long. I'm sorry we took so much of your time. It's just some really interesting ah, stuff. Right. We really for appreciate anything, it. This is my favorite city of Buffalo. Yeah, I'll that's always, right. Uh, <laughs> we really I'll appreciate step up it for. Uh, a city that I loved and frozen for five years. Well, it was uh, single digits yesterday. I think we are finally in double digits today, but it's quite cold. And uh, Richard, we really appreciate you coming on. It means a lot to us, and hopefully we can talk to you another time soon, too. Yeah, absolutely, man. Best of luck with the podcast. All right. Thanks a lot, Thank buddy. All right, the sportscasters are back. We come into the University of Michigan fight song in honor of our last guest. I think one of our best, Donnie, yeah. uh, Richard Deitch. Um, we didn't promote it while he was on, but we should mention his Twitter, which is at his name. So it's at Richard D-E-I-T-S-C-H. At Richard Deitch. Yeah, smart guy. Interesting tweets. Well worth a follow. Check yeah, him out. Really great guy. So so pick him up. And also, you know, read his articles on SI.com. Um, he's really, really a great writer. Really interesting. So we really appreciated the time that he spent with us. Uh, we got one more segment. It's a pick four segment. Before we get into that, I just want to remind everyone that we're on Twitter. It's at sports underscore casters. Both of those are plural. Uh, Donnie's on uh, Twitter at Garbage Radio Don, and I am at on Twitter at Diversity23. Check out our website. It's garbageradio.com slash sportscasters. Facebook is facebook.com slash thesportscasters. And you can email us. Um, it's thesportscasters at uh, gmail.com. And last week, Donnie, I whooped your butt in the picks. Yeah, I got beat up on uh... <laughs> I actually last week went five and, or three and one. I won on the Packers, the Bulls, and the Steelers. 
And I lost on Aaron Rodgers over 408 passing yards. He actually had 235. Close. You went 2-2. Two and two. You won on the Packers and the Steelers, but you lost on Maryland over VTech. They lost yeah. 74-57. And you lost on no touchdown passes for Sanchez. He actually had two, and his quarterback rating was 102. Yeah. Roethlisberger uh, would have been the right call on that one. Yeah. Who so this week we had a tough time picking a game of the week because it's the dreaded week between the Super Bowl and – or the championship games in the Super Bowl. But for the game of the week, Donnie, I decided it's the Pro Bowl. And just because my favorite team is the New Orleans Saints and they play in the NFC, I'm going to go with the NFC over the AFC in the Pro Bowl. Interesting, because I took actually the AFC because I think their quarterbacks are better, and I think their running backs might be a little bit hungrier. Uh, From the NFC, it is scary that Adrian Peterson plays there. He's a hard enough guy to tackle when guys want to tackle him. So in a game where people don't want to tackle uh, and Devin Hester, I think, is a scary guy, too, because I hope in a Pro Bowl people don't kick away from him. Right? Right. They're going to punt to him, right? No, I think they would. So, I mean, he could run three back for all. I mean, you don't have a lot of special teamers there for their tackling abilities. So, I, but I went with the AFC. Okay, well, in the worldwide leader pick, it's the one that we, we pick every week. We pick one. Uh, all that, It's just kind of a wink at ESPN, but it's just any game that's on national TV. Uh, during the week, and I found a hockey game on Versus Wednesday at 7.30. I'm going to take the Detroit Red Wings over the New Jersey Devils. Uh, <laughs> I kind of like it. Um, Devils are hot now. What are they, got four wins in Yeah, a row? the Devils have been playing better, but I'm going to take Detroit. Their goaltending situation is a little sketchy, but I'm going to take Detroit over New Jersey. You can watch that game on Versus Wednesday at 7.30. Um, I don't have the time in front of me, but I'm going to take the uh, the – NHL All-Star Game. That's hmm. Sunday. Sunday at 3? Three? 3. They're not competing with the Pro Bowl, are they? That'd be a mistake. No, I don't think they Okay. Are. Sunday at 3, I'm going to take Team Stahl, uh, which is, I guess would be the home team, kind of, versus yep. uh, Team Lidstrom. Okay. Even though you don't know the teams yet. I don't. <laughs> no, I just think uh, I'm going with uh, the, the home, home, team. home team. All right. All right, well, the, the next column is the host choice. It's just any game during the week the host can choose. I've been hot with basketball 2-0 in the last uh, two weeks, so I'm going to stick with a basketball game. It's actually on TNT on Thursday at 10.30, uh, and it's the Celtics over the Blazers. So I'm going to pick the Celtics, even though I don't know uh, Shaquille O'Neal's health status. Hopefully he'll be in. Um, Celtics over the Blazers. I am going to go with, uh, in my host choice, I'm going to go... I'm going to stick with uh, what lost me last week and uh, the take our guests' connection to a college, and I'm going to take Michigan over Michigan State on Thursday night. In basketball. In basketball. Okay. All right, and the last section that we do is a bold prediction. We haven't hit one yet. We're <laughs> collectively 0-4. That's good. It means they're bold. Right, but my bold prediction for this week, hopefully it's bold enough, is that you kind of mentioned it, is that Adrian Peterson will win his second Pro Bowl MVP award. So I'm going to call Adrian Peterson out as the Pro Bowl MVP. Interesting. Since I, I'm not, this isn't my pick, but I'm going to say, uh, if, since, we're, since you picked that, I'm going to pick uh, Jamal Charles for the MVP. But okay. that's not All my right. bold yeah. prediction. Just right. throwing just it out throwing there. It out. All right. My bold prediction is a two-parter, so it makes it extra bold. These Stahl brothers are going to end up on opposite teams in the All-Star game, and one is going to get credited with a hit on the other one. Oh, I like it. That's my bold prediction. That's a two-parter there. Yep. All right, I like that. So Mark and Eric Stahl will be on separate teams. Yep. And one will be credited with a hit on the other one. Which is interesting. We went into this uh, somewhat in depth last week about the uh, NHL All-Star game and the draft format and stuff. And I guess uh, I was reading an article saying that Eric Stahl was already getting hit up on his uh, text messages about how Mark wanted him to pick him right away so he doesn't get picked later. But he's a defenseman, so he can't get picked last. Yeah. All right, well, interesting show today. (laughs) We started off not knowing if we were going to be able to get Zach Cashian on, and we ended knowing that we were not able to get Zach Cashian on, so it's disappointing. Uh, Try for that in the future. Yeah, we're going to try for him again, and uh, the PR director was very sorry. He couldn't get a hold of him either. He was a nice guy. A really nice guy, uh, and he said that we could – you know, have Ryan Ellis on if we wanted or someone else, or we'll try for Zach later. Um, don't know what happened, but it was on his end. He didn't answer his phone, so I guess that's the world of podcasting. Uh, <laughs> we do have a good show shaping up for next week. 
Um, I don't want to jinx anything, so I'm not going to give anything up, but it's going to be probably mostly a Super Bowl show as it's going to be only a few days away from the Super Bowl. And uh, we're definitely going to get try to track down a Steelers fan, and uh, I'd like to track down a Packers fan um, and just get a fan's perspective of what they think of the game. And we'll probably get someone from the media because we're finding out that people from the media love to talk. So (laughs) (laughs) we're... We'll probably get a media person. I'm out on a few, but I don't want to jinx anything just yet. So why don't you cue the hip? Got it. And uh, we'll see everyone next week. See ya. All right.